Welcome to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, where we try to cut through the noise and help you make sense of the chaotic information space around us. I'm Griff Somke. And I'm Jay McKenzie. Today, we're very fortunate to have Southern Poverty Law Center senior investigative reporter Michael Edison Hayden with us again. Michael just finished covering the Douglas Mackey trial on charges of election interference, and he is joining us today to give us his perspective on that experience, as well as the general state of the extremist right after what was a seismic event for them. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a rating and a review on the app that you're listening on. Be sure to subscribe at didnothingwrongpod.com to get our content straight into your inbox. All of our work is free, but we're extremely grateful for paid subscriptions and donations that ensure that we can keep doing this important work. Thank you. Michael, it's great to have you back. Thank you so much for making the time and joining us. We really appreciate it, man. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to finally have an opportunity to talk to you guys. I've been wanting to uh, for a while, but you know we we needed a verdict among other things. Oh, no kidding! This has been amazing to watch. So, Mike, for the folks who haven't been as deep in the woods as we have, can you explain who Douglas Mackey is and what he's just been convicted on? Yeah. Okay. So Douglas Mackey is a Middlebury graduate who was, as as far as I could tell during the trial, basically unemployed um, during the 2016 election and became heavily, heavily involved in promoting Trump online through a persona, a pseudonym known as Ricky Vaughn. Ricky Vaughn is, of course, the character from Major League. Uh, the was it 1987 or 1989 film? 89. <laughs> 89. So where Charlie Sheen played the archetype of the the wild um, ninth inning closer. You know his his nickname was Wild Thing, and um, the idea was that he could throw like gas, he could throw 100 miles an hour, uh, but he couldn't find the plate. And throughout the season, he became better and better, and actually kind of zeroed in on his uh, command and control in a baseball sense and was able to just strike people out at the end and became a great relief pitcher. So he had that persona and he started using an avatar on Twitter of, you know, Charlie Sheen's character's face probably around 2014. And after Trump announced, he changed the, um, at the time it was Cleveland Indians, uh, hat to a, uh, to a MAGA hat and kind of skyrocketed on Twitter to becoming an extremely influential voice in the 2016 election. I think a very, like a, a very credible and serious MIT study had him uh, ranked 107 on the top 150 influencers, and it became that became a big part of the thing in his trial. And essentially, Ricky Vaughn was praised by the by uh, the radical right, including neo Nazis at the time, for uh, being able to kind of on one hand, holds onto the fringe kind of anti-Semitic extremist corners of the right, as well as the more mainstream kind of bread and butter Republican voter and kind of pull them together on Twitter. There's a weird way with the kind of articles and links he would share and the rhetoric he would use. He was able to kind of unite the right, which was, uh, you know, like I think what his his greatest asset to to extremists is he was so good and so influential and so good at making their ideas palatable. He he just became a huge star among extremists for that reason. And 
what is he charged with? He was it's election interference. Um, he promoted two uh, memes uh, is what the way they describe it. Um, I would call it just like disinformation. Uh, they were carefully crafted to resemble uh, Hillary Clinton campaign materials. And they told people to vote by text. And they specifically targeted women of color in the imagery, a black woman, in one image. And then the other one was a Latina uh, woman. And she, her writing around her was in Spanish, uh, telling people to vote by text. And uh, 5,000 people texted that number. I've seen the right repeatedly point out that this happened much more frequently uh, after the media had reported on this disinformation campaign. Uh, which is accurate, um, but two things that came up in trial that they are ignoring are that nearly 100 or roughly 100 uh, people texted the number before the media covered it, um, you know, and if you're injuring one person's vote, that's a crime. Yeah, 100, roughly 100 people did. And also uh, the people who played a role in this conspiracy talked frequently about getting the media to sort of amplify uh, their disinfo. So that's the long of it. And uh, I'm sorry that was a, a while, but I hope that explains it. Oh, definitely, definitely. And that kind of leads into the next question. Practically, the entire MAGA right had an absolute meltdown about the verdict. They all seemed to be worried that they would be next. And based on Mackey's proximity to these people in 2016 and 2017, it seems like that fear might be warranted. Would you agree? Let's put it this way. If this verdict had gone a different way, I think that they would feel a lot safer. I think we'll do it that way. We'll, we'll you know, just position it that way. Like what if um, he had been acquitted? Well, I think that would have helped set a precedent that like these, these kind of like social media based crimes, um, you know, are really difficult to prove. And, you know, this is sort of like, you know, it would have given them a lot more gray area and a lot, you know, a fuzzier legal precedent for, prosecution to work. But now if you think about all these disinformation campaigns that have demonstrably led to harm, right? Or if they're not disinformation, I know, and I know this is of interest to you guys, but like hack and leak influence campaigns, right? That's the other, that's the other thing that, that was, that was heavily used in 2016, 2017, right? Do you think things like Pizzagate or you think things about like the um, Podesta emails and uh, you think about stuff like, which, which by the way, came up very heavily in this trial. Mm. Hmm. The Macron leaks, for example, all these things, it's possible to look into these things and see harm being done. I mean, certainly in Pizzagate's case, like, I mean, you don't need, you really don't need uh, to look very hard. I mean, you have people traumatized um, from, from what happened there, like literally still going to therapy and whatever else. So yeah, I think it opens the door for, for a lot of different things. And not only that, you know, the FBI's leading uh, witness, their kind of star witness is this microchip guy um, who I'm sure we'll get into, but, you know, he's been cooperating with the FBI since 2018, according to this. He's been working for the FBI is the, is the term that was repeatedly used. Yeah, and we don't exactly know what ongoing cases there are and how he's helping. We don't really have any sort of details, but neither do they. So it's kind of an open <laughs> question as to... So what comes next? But it does seem like, like you said, there is real harm. You look at how many people have died from COVID-19 who wouldn't have because they refused to get the vaccine. And it's hard to put the put the blame on any specific person. But you have all these people pushing out this this junk on the Internet and it does cause harm. QAnon followers have, have gone down some really dark paths. And, you know, in those cases, sometimes they end marriages or friendships. Murders has led to murders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
you know, there's a question of whether, like, is it because people who are unstable, uh, dangerous, maybe uh, predisposed to be attracted to these kind of internet conspiracies, or is it because the conspiracies are taking people like this and pushing them over the edge? It's very difficult to find those lines. Yeah, and the government really seemed to get a little creative with this case, and it was a pretty landmark decision, but they found a law they felt that they could enforce here, and they thought there was a crime committed, and I'm glad they're thinking outside of the box and hopefully they they keep doing that because uh we should prevent as much harm as possible preventative too right like because it's like they're they've they've isolated this tactic as something that they're trying to do and you know who's to stop someone from doing a similar like you know i mean like one of the reasons murder is illegal is because we don't want people murdering people anymore (laughs) Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. like, you're probably trying to stop the murder. So, at, like, in 2024, I mean, the, you know, it's it's the sort of, you got to look at it from the inverse. If this was, was said, there's no issue here and you just carry on, um, who's to stop people from just creating false advertising, telling people to do something to their vote and causing them to throw away their vote? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I think that you had to draw a line and just to say, like, hold on a second, this, like, some of these other disinformation campaigns that these guys were creating at that time, those disinformation campaigns may be weird or bad, but their speech, um, and it's up to the platforms to kind of police that. But this is a crime. You can't actually tell people, you know, th- th- this is fraud. Right. Well, and if I understood this correctly, if people sent in a text to the number that they set up and put that Mackey put out on this meme, they got an automated response. Right. It was it it appeared to be genuine. They made it look as real as they possibly could. Is that right? As far as I know, they no. I think what happened is that they just kind of pulled a, a short code together. And then the proprietor of the short code, who has a business that's related around short codes, took it and, and used it as a way to inform people that, no, you couldn't actually vote this way. I think that's the response they were getting. OK. So they basically cut it off before it got out of control. Well, that's good, at least. Yeah. So for the government, the star witness was an anonymous troll who's been going by the screen name of Microchip. And this was his first time appearing in public. So what can you tell us about this guy? Yeah. um, Well, why don't you guys, you know, you should give a little preface about who he is because I know you guys... Look at him for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Going back to before I knew you. Right. Yeah, the old the old gab days. So what do you remember about him before I tell him what it was like? Well, Man. he definitely portrayed himself as an absolute just genius alpha male bodybuilder, snort and rails of Adderall, coding apps, and just always the smartest guy in the room smarter than everyone else would give people, you know, diet advice and like lifting advice. And he, he claimed to be pretty much the in charge of every right wing disinformation op around. Right. He said it wasn't Russia. It was him. And it QAnon wasn't this group over on 4chan. It was him. And he, he just essentially claimed to, to run the Internet. And sometimes he, he definitely appeared to have some kind of role in these, in these right-wing disinformation campaigns. Like if you looked at the attempts to make Antifa a terrorist organization, he was on top of that and spreading that far and wide. But 
Yeah, he. I don't know that anyone has thrown as much shit at the wall as as this guy has, but uh, yeah, he's he's the ultimate chaos agent. Yeah. So 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 basically, like he used to have a he used to have an avatar that was like a MAGA thing, uh, like hat, and he was a kind of it, it showed a, a very uh, mask alpha dude with an ice cream cone, and. He uh, kept appearing during the 2016 election, promoting things like the Podesta emails. That's where he became like really, really well known. And he would get banned and then he would come back. And it was like, like he was some sort of magician. Uh, he would have the same follower account like within hours. Like it was, it was wild. He would be generating like thousands and thousands of retweets. It, it was crazy. Like he was, he was just like dominating Twitter and like it didn't, it didn't make any sense. Like nobody could really figure out what he was doing. And, how he was so successful, uh, but we learned a little bit about it. And then he went, you know, he kind of went to Gab for a bit and was on with the other extremists who were kicked off of things. And then he was brought on again in a, in, without his, his being identified as the creator of QAnon um, in 2018 by Jack Pozovic, which turned out to be a lie. Um, and Pozovic had him in there, I think, as a kind of a disinfo of the disinfo type thing, as a way to try to make it look like, you know, the, the, this QAnon stuff was hurting Trump uh-huh. and it was starting to make everything look unhinged. It was one of the most bizarre interviews I've ever seen. It's so strange. Yeah. And so on one, one American news network, Pozovic had him on uh, no face voice distortion and kind of uh, had him talk through being the creator of QAnon to say that QAnon was fake and not good or whatever. I also interviewed Microchip to hear his take on the why and the how he created Q. With the QAnon stuff, it wasn't that. This wasn't something that was, this is a hard one to explain because this wasn't something planned like we just came together and said, this is our operation to take out something, right? Uh, it wasn't like that. It, this happened actually, I would say it's more of a, a mistake that it happened, right? And it didn't work. It didn't really slow down QAnon. And of course, he, he was lying. You know, he's kind of disappeared and come back repeatedly. A few of the big hashtags he got trending are things like a cruise sex scandal. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. To get that, like, just, like, lying up the fucking, up the, up the trends on Twitter, just, just, just dominating, like, woof, it just, like, went up. And it was, like, you know, all these things that were targeted during the 2016 the primary against Cruz, he just, you know, like, flooded him with this info. I'm not exactly crying for Ted Cruz. Um <laughs> No, but I, I honestly don't think any there were really any guardrails at Twitter for that at the time, and they probably had to start dealing with people manipulating the hashtags after that because he he was so good at kind of owning that conversation. Yeah, he he basically did that, and he would again would get suspended. Now the only the only recourse they really had is like, hey, we got to suspend this guy is doing something weird, and then he would come back. And he would yeah. have, you know, it's like, wait a second, this guy just came back and he has 80,000 followers again. Like, what happened? Um, and uh, yeah, like that leads us up to the present day. He was in multiple direct messages with uh, direct messages groups with Ricky Vaughn, including Microchat, which is one that he kind of hosted. And then two versions of the Mad Men DM. And then there was, it was called Mad Men. And then there was the War Room, which was started by a person who kind of cast a heavy shadow over this trial for me that was never really discussed in any other way, the War Room DM, which is Jared Wyand, who I last knew about Jared Wyand, where he was on Gab and was making terroristic threats and then disappeared. And when was that? 
How, how long ago was that? It was around 2019 or 2020. Okay. I had wondered what happened to him. I just hadn't seen him in forever. I had, I, you know, without getting too much into detail, I have been, you know, contacted by people with authority um, asking questions about Jared Wyand around 2019 and 2020, asking me about his whereabouts and what I knew about him. And uh, he disappeared. <laughs> so <laughs> wow. I'm very curious, you know, I'm very curious to know what happened uh, to Jared Wyand and why, you know, why was he not charged in this? I mean, I don't know uh, what kind of intelligence he's providing to people, I, I assume. I know that what he was doing, was talking about is that he had accrued a lot of guns and he was getting more and more involved in the anti-Semitic conspiracy stuff. And he was kind of like, this is in the aftermath of Tree of Life. And then he just disappeared. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a little disturbing. Never a good sign. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, Mike Rose in a bunch of these DMs and he was uh, kind of workshopping messaging with Ricky Vaughn and others in there kind of figuring out ways to jack up uh, hashtags, dominate hashtags on Twitter and draw attention to their uh, the influence campaigns and disinformation campaigns that they were using to destroy Hillary Clinton, which is the way he basically described it. Yeah, Microchip did bring that up, and I think you talked about it in the trial, that he wasn't as interested in helping Trump as he was in um, damaging Hillary Clinton. Do you do you buy that? I mean, do you think he's being honest there or honest with himself? I do think so. Yeah, I think so. I, I don't think he I don't think he liked Trump so much as he liked him as a kind of vessel to destroy Hillary Sure. I think he hated her for a number of reasons. I think there are genuinely there are genuine reasons to dislike Hillary Clinton. Sure. She represents a lot of the things that are um unpalatable about or she's I would say represents, but she she can be easily built into a symbol of a lot of the things that, you know, a lot of the mistakes that I, I hate the word neoliberal, but like I don't know what else to use, but like kind yeah. of the 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 things that that, that neoliberalism just did not cover properly in people's no. lives. I mean, like th this kind of this wine and cheese elitism that neglected uh, labor concerns for people and allowed like the kind of vast expansion of some of these tech companies to kind of just erode the middle class and and all these other things that people feel all kinds of resentment for. She became like a very easy symbol of that because she's been a very successful politician in that sphere. I mean, there are reasons beyond also her foreign policy. Yeah, right. I mean, that's a that's a big one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She's a, you know, I, I was thinking domestically, like, but like, yeah. I mean, like little things like, you know, nickel and diming the fucking minimum wage in that campaign. It was like it was just say fifteen, man. It just you have to say fifteen for people. I mean, people can't live on twelve dollars an hour. Like stuff like that. Easy to understand why there was a resentment and also the kind of the kind you know the kind of thing where it was where it felt like it was all about electing a woman and things like that. And that just really activated a lot of male supremacists and, and misogynists like Microchip to just want to destroy her, you know, because it really wasn't about a campaign to help people. It was a, it, it was a lot of people interpreted it as a campaign to get her, to get her president. It's, you know, it was all about her. All the messaging was about her. The foreign policy stuff I'm not going to get into, obviously, that is a huge one. 
Long story short, um, he I do believe that he's sincere. I think he wanted to destroy Hillary Clinton. And I think Trump was like, it didn't matter that he was like this boorish, like whatever else. They they liked that in part because at the time he hadn't governed yet and hadn't embarrassed anybody. <laughs> he was just an, like an insult comic from hell. And he was just destroying everybody um, that they didn't like, including, you know, the Lindsey Graham type people who ended up uh, becoming Trump suck ups. Right. Yeah, they still hate Lindsey. They still, they still. <laughs> became like based, right? Like that for a while they were putting activated eyes on him. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but then he went the way of Jeff Sessions over there. Uh, the right <laughs> return. <laughs> I think he's sincere. And, and um, I, I think that a lot of the energy around MAGA in 2016, because it hadn't really hit the personality cult level in the way it did in the 2020 campaign. By then it was just like, it was all about Trumpism. He, he, he had, he had won already. He had already mm. defeated the evil liberals or whatever, you know, was in the minds of conservatives. So he became this like, you know, this outlaw hero and whatever else then. But, but that time when he was not expected to win by, by, by many people, I thought he was going to win, but many people did not think he was going to win. I, I think at that time, they really benefited from people just hating everything and just feeling the inevitability of Hillary winning. And, you know, it was just like a lot of people just bought into it who were not even concerned about their material interests, but just kind of denying Hillary Clinton what she believed was rightfully hers. Right. Definitely. So what was the vibe like in the courtroom during the trial? Uh, man, <laughs> <laughs> like really interesting throughout, uh, the jury selection was really, really difficult in part because you, they had to grill people on whether they could be uh, unbiased and not allow their political um views to shape the outcome of the campaign of the of the of the trial season there you go there's a Freudian slip um uh but yeah i mean and and this was hard and it's and it's like you know mackie deserved a fair trial he did not need people in there who were going to go convict him for being uh you know for being a trump supporter um so that is important uh, similarly um if you have some one person in there who is a trump supporter who has had access to to, to some of Tucker's rants, I mean, you know, that's a, that's a no go zone for the, for the prosecutors. That would be a huge failure. So it was difficult and it went on longer than they expected. I think it was three full days and Frisch, his attorney uh, fought pretty hard to try to, you know, maximize the number of white men that were on there, I think. Hmm. And uh, at one point accused the prosecution, I overheard uh, him saying that, like, just like they're being prejudicial against um, in dismissing white men. And then the prosecute, prosecutor, um, Paulson, responded to say there are many white men we feel comfortable, very comfortable on this jury. You know, something of that, something he said, something like that. And mm -hmm. um, ultimately, there were quite a few white men, made up at least a third. Then uh, as for the trial itself, sober as trials go, a little disjointed because it had to be delayed twice because he pulled his, uh, what would have been his expert witness. Yeah, and then two major shifts in tone. The first is when microchip showed up and it felt like a circus. <laughs> Second shift is when the prosecutors cross-examined Mackey and I felt palpable darkness kind of seep into the courtroom as they're just repeatedly reading his statements 
which um, are the kind of statements that somebody in my line of work are very familiar with and, and really entry level extremism for me. Uh, but um, but we're just ugly to hear it in the context of uh, this courtroom surrounded by people who may not be exposed to it. I felt it was just ugly and awful. And I, it was quiet. It was, of course, quiet in the court, but I could feel the I could feel the silence in a different way. Right. Yeah. The, was it that the judge had to be told what a shit lib was at one point? I believe that was. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, there's some there, there's some wild things like that. And, <laughs> at, at one point, the judge, Judge Donnelly, said, um, "So this Microsoft that's coming in, referred to him as Microsoft." <laughs> she had, she said, "I'm sorry. Can you tell us what uh, JFC means?" Oh. I said, uh, "Ma'am, it means uh, Jesus." And she goes, "Okay." okay. <laughs> and then I, I, we had, we had to. <laughs> over over here, uh, like Frisch was trying very very hard to get things thrown out as being incendiary. Um, it's very difficult because it's almost everything that was said in the alt right movement at that time was incendiary, right? Right. Mm-hmm. This is really really uh, this is tough, right? I mean, like everything the the the, the very nature of what they're doing is incendiary, right? They're trying to install a fascist state in the United States, you know, a fascist government in the United States, and they almost succeeded. And uh, yes, I, and I am aware of the things that were already living under fat, whatever. Okay, I'm not going to go and get into that. <laughs> but um, in reality, like we're talking about a right wing, autocratic, anti-democracy movement taking power. That's what I'm referring to here. And they getting very close. Um, that in itself, that very mission is incendiary. So it becomes really difficult to get stuff into the trial. And one of the things that he tried to get out was the word cuck, where they're talking about this woman whose marriage fell apart and they're laughing at her and be like, oh, she got e-cucked by a Charlie Sheen <laughs> avatar. They are so obsessed with that word. Oh, yes. oh my God. Yeah. They're quite obsessed with that word in a way that uh, makes me highly, highly suspicious of what... <laughs> Their online pornography intake is like, yeah. Uh, yeah, they like it. So, yeah. So, did Mackie ever acknowledge you at the trial, or either in the court or outside? He did. I had chatted with with Mackie on Gab, you know, back in the day, and uh, you know, as I I posted about in my newsletter. He was much nicer to me than many of the people on Gab because Gab was like a, it's Gab is kind of like prison and to begin with, right? There's all these people who've been <laughs> yeah. blown out of mainstream sites that are in there, and it's kind of like you know it was like being it's like being in jail. And you know the more the the more sensitive you are in that environment, the more you're likely to gravitate to me. And I do think there's some sensitivity in Mackie, despite his 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 absolutely fucked up uh, behavior and he was friendly. I mean, he was saying racist things to me, but he was, you know, we were chatting things up, but you know, I mean, he, he like there, there's a person in there and uh, you know, obviously I'm trying to talk to him as a source, trying to see what I can, you know, what kind of stories I can build. And, and, and also, you know, I'm always trying to get people to, you know, while I'm doing that to think twice about what they're doing and maybe consider taking the steps towards leaving. Right. So I'm always thinking about that because I don't, you know, one of the reasons I do this is because I don't want this to happen anymore. Right. So I want this to stop this fascist shit. I want it to stop. So I've got one eye on getting stories that damage the movement. And I've got another eye on, on, on trying to help people leave it. Um, And we talked. And then I, when I saw him in the courtroom, we, you know, I could feel that he recognized me, but, um, you know, I, I don't know how long it took. 
And, you know, the first time we were in the bathroom together and, you know, apologize to folks who do not go to men's rooms, but um, (laughs) I was in the urinals peeing and he like went around and went into the the toilet area to pee, which is like, I was like, okay, he just really wants to avoid me, which I understand. And so then the next time I saw him, um, he was pacing around the court area and I said, hey, Ricky, like that. And he waved and smiled. Um, because I said Ricky on purpose because I wanted to refer to the conversations we had when I knew him as Ricky. And then, you know, I saw him, he waved and smiled to me, acknowledged me a couple days, like when, it, when, when his spirits were a little bit higher, it really did look like for a moment during the four days of deliberation that he, he could um, get off on a mistrial, uh, at least temporarily. The, the prosecution mm. probably would have done it again. But um, his spirits were up because they were, they were um, deadlocked for consecutive days. And at that time he stopped and waved to me. And yeah, I mean, you know, since that time he reached out to me to tell me uh, that um, in the article that we published that one of the Ricky Vaughn screenshots I used was not, he was not the Ricky Vaughn at that time. Um, so oh, I removed no, really? it. Yeah, I removed it for him. It was the one where uh, there was a comment about Charlottesville. I don't know if he's telling the truth or not, but I wanted to remove it for him. The guy's, you know, he, he, he says it's not his, so. Was it a... No, it's at Ricky Vaughn too. Okay. Okay. So he's saying somebody else made that account and he wasn't, he wasn't running it, which it, it was oftentimes, this is the part of the issue here. You lose that many accounts that frequently and then imitators pop up and it's not always clear who's running it, who isn't running it. And when you're an anonymous troll on Twitter, it's that much more difficult. Of right. course. I mean, it wasn't like, I mean, it was not a, you know, a big part of the story by any means. Right. Uh, it was just an image example of it. Two, I mean, if I wanted to just find something that I know he definitely published that was shitty, I could just go back and find like a million things because he said so many things, right? Mm-hmm. So it was just sort of like, you know, okay, if, if, if you're saying that wasn't you, it wasn't you. He said it was, read the indictment is what he said to me. It's not in there. So, it's possible that he's telling the truth, and it's also possible that it's not in the indictment and he doesn't want to draw additional attention to other accounts the prosecution was not aware of. So I don't know, but you know, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt there, and so I removed it. But he was pleasant, and when he asked me to do that, and I, you know, I responded right away because I'm not interested in, you know, I could say that, like, you know, do some extra reporting there or whatever. I'm not interested in that at this point. I think the case is pretty clear that he's a radical right figure who is uh you know was was deep 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 in the extremist movement at that time um yeah so those are my interactions with him so back to microchip for one second can you explain if he was supposed to be an anonymous witness why you guys were able to see his face and hear his voice it seemed like the prosecution made no real effort to hide that from the people in the courtroom and what gives well, they protected his name, and I think the understanding was that that microchip is very afraid of getting doxxed. Mm-hmm. That's his words. Now, I was a very irritated that both the prosecution and the defense seemed to give credence to the word dox, uh, conflating reporting with doxing. Hmm, right. That happened at s- several occasions. Like um, the re- reporting out, for instance, Mackey's identity was him being doxed. That's not true. That's reporting. If somebody is wearing a fucking Jason mask, and shooting people and you find out who they are underneath it, that's not doxing, that's reporting, Right. okay? So doxing is when you maliciously publish people's private information online with the purpose of creating harm for them. I've been doxed um, and I'm not a pseudonymous figure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
we've we've been yeah, there. We've both dealt with the same. It's part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so that's what doxing is, and I was a little irritated at the trial that that got you know that that that, that was entertained. Um, but yeah, the idea is basically I think Microchip knows that Luke has got a pretty like strong peg on his identity, and he doesn't want it to be you know r- reported out. And I think deep down, I mean, I think he's got a business as a developer, as an app developer or whatever it is that he does, something in the tech field. And I think if who he was was exposed, it might impact his business. And I don't think he wants that to happen. So there's a number of things at play there, I guess. Yeah, since you brought up Luke O'Brien, I wanted to ask you that Jack Basovic claimed that Luke was quote, nearly thrown out of court, unquote, by the judge. Um, but it but it will shock, shock our listeners to learn there are uh, multiple people who dispute this claim. So what, uh, what was Posobiec up to here? And why did this trial seem to make him so nervous? Yeah. That's, well, 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 the first thing is uh, Posobiec has called microchip off friend, literally. Yeah. Microchip has told me in private that Jack Pazobic is my friend. And I believe at one point he also messaged me said, lay off of Jack. He's a good guy. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, that's a problem because uh, microchip has been, unless Jack Pazobic is himself also, you know, uh, working for the FBI, which by the way, like I'm not putting it past anything, No. but, uh, but then if that's the case, it's a huge, I mean, that is a huge dark mark on our, our government. If that were the case. <laughs> yeah. I've had the same thought and I hope, I hope not, but who knows? Right. Yeah. It's like the end of dirty Harry or whatever, where he throws the badge away. Like, I, don't <laughs> I, I don't think I, I don't think I could, I don't think I could work for SPLC anymore if I found out that Jack Kozovic is working for the FBI for the whole time. Like it would, uh, it would just be. It so would be gross. the it would be the digital equivalent of Whitey Bulger, basically. Is what is mm-hmm. what we're talking about? Yeah, it, it'd be so bad. Yeah, I mean, he's a longtime collaborator with Microchip. Um, he was friends with them since the the 2016 election, and. He, like uh, Mackie, is involved in a number of disinfo campaigns that also involve microchip. And, you know, I'm sure uh, if they were building a case against Jack Pozobic, for instance, I don't know that they are, you know, but if he were involved in a case or involved in a different conspiracy or whatever, microchip would have the goods on that. And we know that Jack is like heavily involved in pushing. I don't know of anything that that reaches to the level of a crime or not. But he was involved, for instance, in, in, in Macron leaks and hyping Macron leaks. There have been like six charges against Russian uh, intelligence figures for that hack and leak campaign. Pazovic was the primary person pushing that, et cetera. Again, no proof of anything that he's done that would rise to the level of a crime. I have none of that. I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, I want to be very clear that I'm not mm-hmm. saying that he has committed crime. I don't know that. I don't know anything, you know, I don't, I have no reason to believe it. Let's put it that way. But I do know that one, Everybody, like six people involved in, in Macron links, which he hyped, were charges were brought upon them, uh, all from the GRU. Then you have Bannon, who's been in and out of legal trouble, is basically one of his mentors. Uh, Roger Stone, who's always mm-hmm. in legal trouble. Mm-hmm. I mean, like everybody in Jack's circle has been in some kind of trouble or other. And then you have this guy here who is like <laughs> been informing to the FBI since 2018. I'm sure, I'm sure he's he's you know whether he's done anything wrong or not. Uh, I'm sure he's nervous, at least. I would be, um, certainly, if I was, you know, if I were, you know, if I if I were friends with Microchip and, 
doing this pro-Trump activism, particularly in this atmosphere where it looks like people are starting to get punished for it. So, yeah, I mean, basically what Pozobik is referring to there regarding Luke, um, who is uh, a, a wonderful journalist and, and, and a dear friend, is the fact that when Microchip came into the court, we had never seen this guy, but we had been chatting with him, Luke and I, for for years, like going back years. And I think Luke even more than me, just forever, just talking to him. Usually these kind of interesting chats, like he's a smart guy. And um, when I say interesting, I mean, it's contentious. It's like bang, bang, bang. It's like shit posting in high speed, but then you talk to him. It's basically like insults back and forth, back and forth. But there's a kind of, uh, um, he provides a level of mutual, I don't know, like there's a kind of, uh, like he makes it, Fun in the sense that he's always escalating, making fun of you and inviting you to make fun of him. Well, he's he's got a, a belief system or set or ideas that are more than just shit posting and trolling, which he obviously does. We, we obviously don't agree with the things that he believes and adheres to and all this, but he's not your average troll. He thinks he's onto something. He thinks he knows better than you. And it's at least his IQ is not as, as low as the common 4chan troll. I guess we can put it that no, way. No, he's definitely a smart guy. Yeah, and, and, and so, we, so we've been chatting with him for so long, and we had never um, seen him in person. And then all of a sudden, he comes in. Now, Luke, had, Luke, I think, had an idea who he was beforehand. I mean, he's been working on him for a long time. Um, and I think what he saw confirmed it. Uh, but this mountain of a man, like, um, <laughs> it's not a body shaming thing when I say this, uh, you know, I mean, but he is extremely fat. It's not like obesity. He looks also extremely solid. He, like if you do like Kingpin or, uh, from Marvel comics or like <laughs> the blob, yep. uh, from Marvel comics, like it's like, you know, there's just a solid gigantic figure comes into court and he's wearing this like really vibrant blue hoodie. And he's got the neck beard and the hair stringing back like this. And we turn up and look at him and he immediately starts laughing like, <laughs> because he recognizes us in court. And then I started laughing too, because it was just insane. It's like, here's a microchip. Yeah. And he comes and he sits down on the, on the stand, like, a, a, you know, in the box and he just starts, the prosecution starts asking, you know, asking him questions. And he gives these like kind of laconic short answers. And, you know, the timing is as funny as a shit post. And because he's, you know, in a court and he's not being racist, anti-Semitic, uh, bigoted or whatever, anything else, you can't help but laugh because the timing, uh, the, the way he does things and the style of humor is so honed by by years of uh, on the internet. Like he, he thinks things like, say, He's like, okay, and what is 4chan? He's like, it's a place where internet intellectuals go to talk about uh, contemporary events. It's like, you know, the way I'm not yeah. saying he said it so quickly, and so um, with, with you know his timing was so good that like it was difficult not to laugh. And then he was from the <laughs> stand. They call a sidebar, and like to the stand, he's he's looking at me and he's looking at Luke, and he just starts laughing, and he has to pull takes his hoodie. And he puts it up over it, like the cloth of it over his mouth and closes his eyes on the stand and leans back and just starts laughing into it. And I just lost it. I, 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 I was laughing so hard. And Luke, <laughs> Luke got up and, and changed seats uh, to get a better look at him directly, which um, 
uh, caused, I think, Microchip to, to react even more, you know, I mean, more visually. And then Judge Donnelly basically gave a warning to say, you know, she blamed Luke, but I think she was talking to multiple journalists there, um, including somebody who was reporting for Unicorn Riot. These are people who knew Microchip for, for years and were finally seeing him and was like, we can't have any of this or, or someone's going to get, you know, thrown out or whatever. So I was really scared because I, I like, you know, I did not want to lose the story. Um, and, and I, you know, things had been going so well. Uh, and I just took my COVID mask and I just put it on throughout the testimony because I did not want to be seen smirking or laughing while he was on the stand. And there was during, during his cross, it got even funnier because Frisch's tactic, and it almost may have worked. I mean, it was actually Frisch at his most effective on Mackey's case because he was like, he started to go through the insane shit that Mag, uh, that that um, microchip had said to try to make him look unhinged, and it was not difficult. Like so, he at one point he said, "Mr. Frisch, I offer S. Any objection? Prosecution? No objection. Uh, the court. All right, that will be in evidence. This is in reference to to a Twitter one of his Twitter bios. It says, "I drink black rifle coffee, wear a fishnet trucker hat, have a Jesus tattoo." And inject testosterone, period. <laughs> George Santos and J John Kirby stand account. <laughs> period. Sorry. Pro balloon. Now, this is being read in court. Now, I am being asked not to laugh. I, I want to repeat it one more time. It's so many memes. It's so many memes. Drink black rifle coffee, wear a fishnet <laughs> trucker hat, have a Jesus tattoo, and inject testosterone. George Santos and John Kirby Stan account pro balloon. <laughs> did you write that? Yeah, I did. By the way, Stan is a modern slang word for being a fan of. Is that fair? Big fan of those two. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the most recent microchip. Oh, they could have. Man. I was, I was fucking crying. Man. I, I was crying. I was crying and I had to cover my face. And you're being told not to laugh. <laughs> so it's like, how am I not supposed to laugh? Tell me that isn't funny. That's really <laughs> funny. <laughs> yeah. I, hope, I hope your listeners are. I've I'm, I'm been on this like podcast for, 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 for a while now. So like, I hope people are still following. So I got one more. Please keep going. Keep it's going. <laughs> this is amazing. The five people who get it are just loving it. So it's. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Um, <clears throat> fresh. Do you recall saying that you also used a testosterone steroid called Testogel? Uh, Testogel, yeah, that was like 2001. Yep. Did you tweet about your use of Adderall on February 20th, 2023? <laughs> yes. Frisch, let me show you what I will mark for identification as exhibit R. Let me get it nice and focused. Right. Mr. Frisch, take a second. Witness. Oh, I already know this tweet. Did you tweet this? I did tweet that. Mr. Frisch, I offer R, defense R. Any objection? Mr. Galata, I don't see its relevance just from reading the tweet, so I object. Witness, this is a court. Hold on. Objection overruled. Did you say in this tweet, I'm now 36 hours into my Adderall and chat GPT marathon? Did you say that? I did. <laughs> do you know what chat GPT is? I do. What is it? It's a generative AI, a generative artificial intelligence using a language model. Let me show you what I've marked for identification as defense S. Wait, 
Oh, I'm sorry. Not yet. You have to wait. I'm sorry. It's good. It's good. Go ahead, <laughs> Mr. Frisch. I like the old way where I walk up and back. I make fewer mistakes. Can you put it up, Donna? Okay. Do you recognize this one? I do. Did you tweet this one? <laughs> I didn't tweet that. That's my profile. That's your profile? I offer S. Uh, that's where we got to the Black Rifle Coffee thing. Um, <laughs> uh, he had a lot of fun with this, didn't he? God. But it was also, um, yeah, a bunch of stuff is stricken from the record here. But it was funny. Why? Why were they asking him about all this? Just to one more, and then, and then we'll we'll let, we'll let, because they're trying to show that he was an unreliable narrator, that he was an unreliable witness, and okay. he came pretty close because his tweets are so fucking bananas. Mm-hmm. Is there any objection to this, uh, Mr. God? Again, I object to its relevance. I don't see the relevance. Court, I don't see the relevance. I would like to approach on this. All right, let's do the court. Bah, 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 bah. Sidebar conference. Mr. Chip has decimated a number of. Ha, tweets where he says i have the craze it has decimated i think we got the word wrong where he says quote i have the crazy I, i'm on a schizophrenic rant my iq is so high now you have no idea and the last one is a doozy court may i see it yes i'm sure they've seen it no they haven't i have to be able to use these Frisch says it's a fair game it's fair game if he wants to say he's joking i'll permit it mr paulson it's fine Court. The objection is overruled. Thank you, Judge. So in this one, Christina Benton says, recovery from mental illness and other types of disorders is possible through self-determination when you learn how to manage your symptoms, when you choose not to let them interfere with leading a fulfilling life. Many teens and young adults who are often just anxious, you respond, I have the crazy. Thanks for your post. Did you say that? I did. Oh. This is this is one just for the witness. You you don't object to this, do you, Mr. Galata? No, Your Honor. So this is an evidence. Uh, what is the letter? First defense X. Do you recognize this one? This is February 13, twenty twenty three. You say three thousand one hundred nine crazy tweets over two weeks. What can I say? I'm insane, on pills. I don't shower. I can barely take care of myself. I hear voices, talk to the walls, and can predict the future. Did you say that? I did. <laughs> uh, we can go on forever with this, but um, I it, it, I was being asked not to laugh, and it was very very challenging. I no, yeah, I bet that is. I mean, that is fucking funny. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we need to be clear. He's a virulent misogynist. He's an anti-Semite. He's a, you know, he's he promoted Adam Waffen division. However, it is very difficult to to hear this in a court of law where you're not a, not supposed to disrupt or laugh and hear three thousand one hundred nine crazy tweets in two weeks. What can I say? I'm insane. Like, I, I mean, you know, it's difficult in the context not to laugh. Yeah, so definitely. But then he came back and said, "Ricky is not funny." Which oh yeah, ouch, brutal, brutal. You know, like Frisch's attacks on him, I think were the most effective the defense had been because although I happen to be able to because I know this world so well, parse out what's real and what's not, and the fact that people like this are also able to break the law consciously and whatever else because I know because I talk to them. You know, if you're if you have no idea what even like how Twitter works, which some of these jurors are senior citizens and. And you hear like somebody come in and they're like um, talking like like this and, you know, about how, how they're insane and on pills or whatever. It really undercuts, you know, could potentially undercut 
um, your ability to take them seriously. Right. Yeah. So I think that, you know, Frisch was very effective in this moment. This is the one time that I felt Frisch had, had put some doubt into folks because of, because microchip is just, you know, he is what he is. He's just kind of presents himself as a crazy person. Yeah. But that's not defamatory because he literally says, I am crazy. Mm-hmm. I have the crazy. Yeah. Funny way to describe being crazy, but uh, you know. This feels as inside baseball as you can get trying to decipher him and, and what he means versus what he really means and what he's trying to gain and uh, all these things. Yeah. But to the average person. Yeah, it's really tough. You know, as that stuff we were talking about with Pazovic, uh before and things like that, him being his friend and all those things. I, I would imagine if you're friends with, with Microchip and you've been, you've been kind of working with him on disinfo and stuff like that to have him up there, you know, I mean, that's, that's gotta be nerve wracking. And uh, if I were, a, you know, a collaborator of microchip, I would want to see any attempt to bring this guy onto the stand fail. Hmm. I definitely right. would. Yeah. And they made a lot of the right made a lot of accusations here about disruption and witness intimidation, all kinds of other unfounded things about Luke, um, which were really unfortunate and sad. And Luke is, you know, one of the best reporters on this beat and, and, and does not get the credit he deserves. You know, you're doing something right when Tucker Carlson won't even say your name. Instead, referring to you as, quote, the Southern Poverty Law Center's hatchet man, unquote, and, quote, the Southern Poverty Law Center's goon, unquote. Yesterday, a hatchet man with the Southern Poverty Law Center, an organization that currently employs at least one suspected domestic terrorist was recently arrested, reached out to a defense expert witness called George Hawley. The Southern Poverty Law Center's goon also obtained Hawley's private emails and questioned him about them. He threatened to write an article about Hawley and asked Hawley if his employer was aware that he was a witness in this case. No, and and really the right's scared of him Mm -hmm. and scared of you, your reporting and what you might reveal and... Because they don't want consequences. They don't want consequences. I agree. But also, uh, I do think Luke has become, in my case, they've, they've come after me quite badly and whatever. But in Luke's case, I feel like it's, it, it has gone, it went, I mean, you know, the day of the brick stuff. Do you remember that shit? Mm-hmm. That's 2018. Where they, um, you know, there's a good kid, a journalist in the face with a brick, that fucking campaign. I mean, you know, that was really centered around Luke and he, he's a really tough guy and, and can handle this stuff and he he can handle it. But I mean, they have targeted him and tried to portray him as unhinged and crazy and whatever else for years. And, you know, this is just an extension of that. And Pazovic is not an honest broker. I mean, he has a history of lying and manipulation. It's actually a miracle that he's made it as far as he has in life, given, you know, how, how, how many times he's worked with people who are unsavory or he has, has just provably lied. But, you know, he's just lying again here. And yeah, I mean, was Luke like almost thrown out of court? Like, you know, that part of it is not necessarily false because the courtroom environment was kind of nuts. But the warning, it's just not an accurate portrayal of, of, of what Luke did there. He didn't like, it, it was more than just, it was a circus. Microchip couldn't control himself and everybody watching it was laughing. The jury was laughing. Yeah, so I don't know if you if you need to go soon, but I- Yeah, do, do you... I, 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 I can answer one more. Okay. I wanted to talk to you about the Manhattan protest, but we just got so focused on this. Oh, yeah, it. sure. Well, we can talk about that briefly. Yeah, well, you had you had Jack Posobiec, you had the New York Young Republican Club, you had MTG and all these people outside the Manhattan courtroom uh, supporting Trump, and they, had, they put out a video, they had uh, these pictures surrounded by supporters. But you were there. How many people were actually there to support Trump? And, and how much of this was just 
the press and and just random people kind of gawking and watching was was it a big pro trump event or was it was it just these people kind of shouting in a crowded square well you know I contend that the MAGA movement, it's now unraveling. And I don't want to like spike a football to say, you know, yay or whatever. I don't want it to unravel because of the indictments and things like that. I want it to unravel because it comes to, so unpalatable and unpopular. Um, because I think like the the brag thing can fall short. I think there's a lot of, you know, concern. I have a lot of concerns that it may be too thin, for instance. I mean, and I'm worried that if, if he gets off, like then it'll only further empower Trump. Uh, with his base. So, you know, no one's spiking a football just yet. But for for people who are not familiar with the New York Young Republicans Club, this is like a kind of a hard right anti-democracy club, basically, that is, you know, or has become that uh, under Gavin Wax's leadership, who's, uh, you know, the the president of them right now. And the the executive secretary is this kind of uh, dude named Vish Burra, who is Uh. aide to George Santos. You know, we reported on them in, in December. They had all kinds of, you know, radical right figures um, in, in Europe who kind of came down uh, and were congregating with Pozobek speaking and Marjorie Taylor Greene speaking and Santos was there. It's just like a hard right anti-democracy kind of thing. Steve Bannon was there and his Steve Bannon's fingerprints, like his network is kind of overlaps very heavily with these guys. So when they gave their thing, they had to go back to the well with the same speakers as always, which is Marjorie Taylor Greene and Jack Pozobek, which is you get diminishing returns for that after a while, where it's just kind of like, eh, <laughs> we got the same guests over and over again. And, you know, I didn't see more than a few dozen people that were really eagerly there for them and their event. Uh, there were a lot of pro-Trump people there just for Trump, but um, I think it was overshadowed by media and anti-Trump. People, it's been it's Manhattan, it's lower Manhattan. And things really thinned out after Marjorie Taylor Greene left. Like they basically protesters stalked her car, they stalked her from her car. She was leaving. Michael Rappaport yelled all kinds of, you know, called her an animal and a racist and stuff. He he posted that to social media of him harassing her, uh, you know, with these comments. And um, basically what I saw there is the MAGA movement kind of unraveling. I mean, they got Marjorie Taylor Greene first, a sort of a reverse reversal of like a festival lineup speaker where the, actually the speakers got smaller and smaller. <laughs> um, and so Marjorie Taylor Greene, no one could hear a word of what she was saying. People were blowing whistles uh, to drown her out. You couldn't hear anything. I had to actually take... Uh, her social media person's clip in order to figure out what she's saying afterwards to report it. Cause I, I couldn't understand anything. There's just whistles just drowning her out. Then, you know, Pozobic gets up there afterwards and everything thinned out. Like nobody was there to see Pozobic except this dude who had like a big red face and like was just shouting and wearing aviator glasses. I was like, Oh, okay. So this is, this is the real Jack Bumble Jack fan. Uh, uh-huh. this, is like this one guy <laughs> who's just like, you know, like, uh, and uh, this is not a lot of people. It's not, not a lot of adulation uh, for Jack. I just didn't see many people who cared that he was there, which was amusing. And he's there with his, like, his warfare pin and his sunglasses trying to look cool. <laughs> he gives this speech. It was, it, it was really flat and stupid. Um, and then from there, every speech got weirder and weirder to me. 
you know, this Miles Guo thing, right? He's the, right. He's the um, Chinese tycoon who is really big on pushing this anti-Chinese rhetoric. Uh, look, once again, I have to add as a caveat, like there's a lot of reasons to be uh, skeptical of Chinese influence campaigns and like what they may be trying to do to the U.S. I mean, like, of course, um, you know, you'd be naive to think that the Chinese wouldn't do things to the United States. Just as we're not, you know, of course, we are probably trying to do all kinds of things to the Chinese to try to get our influence in. But this stuff is, is filtering into War Room and all these, uh, Steve Bannon's War Room and all these other things. Pazovic has been a sort of uh, pushing these um, anti-Chinese conspiracy theories. And it just evolved into people shrieking about comparing Trump to Miles Guo and who got busted for fraud charges in, earlier in March and um, saying that the Chinese Communist Party had uh, infiltrated our judicial system and was carrying out prosecutions of Trump and other figures. It was, it got super weird. And as it went along, fewer and fewer people seemed to be there uh, responding to it. And I said, my God, man, this is just, this is sort of the, this is the, these are really the, 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 this is like late MAGA, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, this is late MAGA is what this is. This is like, whoa. It was, you know, for people who are not crazy about, you know, your listeners who may not be crazy about Jack Pozovic, this was cringe for him, man. I mean, this is just, yeah, he, he left pretty like abruptly and just disappeared. Um, he, he seemed to recognize me because I, he, I kept looking at him. I was wearing my mask and then when he saw me. He, uh, I smiled and nodded at him and he pretended to laugh or laughed. I don't know. And uh, he, 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 he left pretty soon after that and just disappeared into the crowd and went, I mean, it was cringe. Yeah. It was cringe, dude. It's not only like, it was just like, I mean, you've seen the clips I shared or whatever. It was just like people, just these un, like these totally bizarre rants about Miles Guo that nobody understands. Like I'm sure no. most of your listeners don't even know who that is. And then, and then at the end of it, people just going USA at the end, like, <laughs> like in this really, who, who is, what is the target audience for that? Mr. Mao Guo, the leader and the founder of the new federal state of China, he dropped a bombshell two years ago. Remember, two years ago, he warned the America that the CCP will do everything to stop President Trump, Trump from its 2024 presidential bid. So this whole Trump's indictment was orchestrated and planned by the Chinese Communist Party. So this country's justice system has been weaponized by the CCP. America politics has become a one party game by the CCP. If we don't stop the CCP, the CCP will determine who will be the next US president. America is now the communist country. We need to save this country now, now, now. Amen. You think the majority system has been hijacked by communist regimes. Yes. That's what's happened here. And that's why they arrested Mao Guo and jailed him. Today, Mr. Mao Guo's bond hearing is to be held right across from the street. They let all the criminals in New York walking the street free, but they denied Mao Guo's bail request. What kind of a two-tiered justice system in this country? This is a CCP country. Yeah, it's it's a weird situation that they've got going with that. It almost seems again like that content is being created for an audience that just isn't this content at all. Yeah, but it does feel like it does feel like they're chasing the content with no clear direction, but their their interest in winning elections is like a distant Right. They want to have this content out and they're, yeah, less concerned with how effective this might be for who their voters are and just doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless the content no. is created for people. No. I mean, 
again, shades of Alex Ionoff on this one. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to have some content for some people who are watching this to look like there's big protests against this system in the United States. And it doesn't matter that it's like 10 or 15 of Miles Goes paid shills. Well, that's the thing I was going to say and and bring up, though, the way that they're the way that they're talking about the Chinese Communist Party at this point, they sound like neo-Nazis talking about Jews or talking about Israel, Mm -hmm. except They've transferred that rhetoric and replaced the Jews with the Chinese or the Chinese government. It doesn't serve anybody's interests but the party, I don't think. The only people I see getting out of this, yeah, is the CCP. Yeah. You you make the dissidents look crazy by association because here are these crazy lunatics with all these conspiracy theories. Yeah. And now, I mean, as an extension of that, Trump has got... So Trump is relying on Bumblejack and now like Laura Loomer. Laura Loomer. Laura Loomer. Yeah. I mean, this is just... This is just nuts, dude. I mean, this is like, they, they, they're they really, like I said, late MAGA. It's not good. And he's probably still going to win the primary. Uh, all the polling right now, at least, suggests Trump's going to win the primary. But the idea that he can win a general election, I, I how? And I don't think they know, and I don't think they have any plan, but they're just full steam ahead with this. Mm-hmm. And uh it goes where it goes. Yeah. If he's one of two nominees, he has a chance to win. Yeah. And uh, Biden is 81 years old or going to be 81 years old. And we, none of us live forever. So it is It is still scary. You can't take anything for granted. He is. And um, I haven't really, you know, kind of gone, gone deep on the Kamala Harris situation to find out exactly how dire it is. But my impression is that she would be a very weak candidate to try to to try to beat him as of right now given the fact that her negatives are pretty probably pretty strong yeah that makes me nervous it's not my job to, i'm not a part of the democratic party it, just thinking about who might be a type of person who could beat him solidly i, I always thought like you know gretchen whitmer would be the type of person who yeah. is in the right age profile yeah and also she's in a, a state with a lot of a lot of working class people that is also you know tends to be sort of run purple uh, and has been popular. And um, I think she could handle a, um, you know, a campaign. And I think they would probably make the campaign around her, like focused on like the FBI things or whatever that I don't, I don't think they'd get much juice out of that. Of course, we can't underestimate like how much misogyny um, is out there and how much resentment for women there is even among other women sometimes. So um, I don't know how that'll play out, but there's no reason to stop from bringing somebody like that. Uh, to giving them a chance. Now, I, I'm not saying that, like, I, again, I was, I'm just speaking not in my capacity as an investigative reporter or even a spokesperson, but I'm just trying to figure out, like, what would be the alternative to Biden. And she's one of the people I, I, I do, that come to mind because I just, again, have not vetted her. Uh, it's not even a question of what her policies are. I'm just talking about the optics of who might be a good foil for the Republicans right now. Yeah, I'm with you, though. It's not clear if it's not Biden... Harris did not do well in the primary and it's not clear she could beat Trump. It's not clear who else it would be. Um, And that is, that is concerning. It is where we're at. And uh, we have to be realistic and, and prepare and have contingencies in place, hopefully, because if somehow Trump does win, it's, it's going to be very dark. Indeed. 
It's going to be very dark, and you can bet that there's going to be, with two older candidates, extremely old candidates <laughs> relative to historical trends, you can bet that, that there's going to be some third-party candidate wedged in there that is going to have all kinds of uh, shady foreign help. That's a given. Um, I, I think, you know, I mean, like people who who uh, do not like America would be stupid not to kind of like prop up a, a younger third party candidate who could potentially help Trump. So there's all these things like uh, potentially on the horizon. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Michael. We really appreciate your time today. Thank you again for coming on with us. This has been very enlightening. Yeah. Thanks. So yeah. Much, and uh, we were going to see what else happens from this, from, you know, in the after this Mackey verdict. It is totally possible that we don't see any more charges like this. Mm. But, um, I, you know, I really think that, well, first of all, I think this trial like is landmark, whether there are there or not. But I, I think it is very possible that this is kind of the first in a series of things that kind of undo these these anti-democracy tactics that we saw in 2016, which is why it's so important to me, even if he gets 18 months, which is possible. And, and that's a relatively light sentence in the grand uh, scheme yeah. of crime and punishment. This is really important because of the fact that it is the law saying that this is legal. Yeah. And if he had gotten off, there would have been 10 copycats that would have shown up in 2024 who would have known that, hey, they can get away with this. Right. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, and there may be a, there may be people who are willing to try it in any case. Yep. Well, thanks a lot, Mike. We appreciate it. Hey, it was great talking to you guys. We'll do it again sometime. Indeed. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast. If you want to hear more, you can go to didnothingwrongpod.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at James, the word four, and the letter M, all one word, and Grizza, B-J-J, G-R-Z-A, B-J-J, as well as D-N-W pod. Thanks again for tuning in, and remember, everyone mentioned did nothing wrong.